Speaking truth to power, The Randy Rhodes Show. Okay, this is why people do not trust Nikki Haley, right here. You're the only woman in this race. How do you feel about your party's front runner being held liable for liable. sexual abuse? I mean, first of all, I haven't paid attention to his, his cases, huh. and I'm not a lawyer. All I know is that he's innocent until proven guilty, and when he's proven <laughs> guilty and he's sitting in a courtroom, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You've got investigations on Trump and Biden. But a lot of and people, forgive me, but a lot of people uh, in the Republican Party blow it all off and say that it's all a witch hunt and which is because I think says. some of the some of the cases but this have case been in political. Particular? This one I haven't looked at, but look, if he's <gasps> found guilty, then he'll he needs to pay the price. He needs to do what he's supposed to. Every one of these cases, they need to be heard out. He needs to defend himself. If he is found guilty, he's going to pay the price. If he's not found guilty, then we move forward. What I will tell you is I'm focused on the economy, the border, and education, and getting our country back on track. If he's sitting in a courtroom, that goes back to what I'm saying. We can't continue to be distracted. We can't continue to be in chaos. We have a country to save. We have a country to save. Uh, I'll save you. Oh, my God. It's like Perils of Pauline. All right, so this clip is so um, illustrative of everything that is wrong with everything in politics. Just this one little clip. Okay. So for starters, Nikki Haley is asked about Donald Trump being found liable equals guilty in civil speak. Okay. Because it's not a criminal trial. It's a civil trial. So he was found that he did. And the judge even clarified. Okay. In the first uh, case where they found that he did rape E. Jean Carroll. Uh, I remember saying he was found guilty of rape. And then I had to retract it because I wasn't sure if that was really a rape a designation or the judge came out and said yes that means that donald trump was found guilty of raping e jean carroll in the bergdorf goodman dressing room in the 90s yes you can say that right so the question to her was you're the only woman in this race what do you think about donald trump being found liable And she says sexual abuse. It's rape, okay? And you're allowed to call it that because that's what it was. It was unwanted, uninvited, uh, 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 fought-off sex, okay, Uh, between her and Donald Trump who pushed himself on her in a dressing room. Okay. Uh, And she said, well, you know, all I know is he's innocent until proven guilty, and I'm not a lawyer. Uh, Obviously you're not a lawyer. Uh, Obviously. You were just told that he was found guilty of sexually abusing E. Jean Carroll, whether the, the rape word was used or not, and it ought to be because that's what it is. And then she, she goes, how many times does she, well, if he's found guilty, then, you know, uh, of course, you know, he, ha- he has to do what he's supposed to do. But, uh, you know, until he's found guilty and he's not been found guilty, what does she say? He's been found guilty in two of these cases already, two of them. The Engr- I just told you, the Engeron case with uh, regard to whether or not Donald Trump committed bank fraud, Judge Engeron said, yes, indeed, Donald Trump committed bank fraud. And now the portion of the trial that is determining what kind of monies are owed as damages for committing bank fraud uh, to be disgorged uh, from his bank accounts because their ill-gotten gains is being determined uh, in, in that courtroom by Judge Engeron because there is no jury in that particular case because Donald Trump didn't want a jury in that case. In this case, there is a jury. And in this case, they found that Donald Trump did abuse her and that he's even def- defaming her currently, like now, like in real time, like sitting in the courtroom during a damages portion of a defamation trial, part two, Tweeting, uh, tweeting. He's uh, uh, putting on Truth Social uh, 22 times in one day, 22 times just today alone, trashing her and calling her a liar. And the judge is tolerating this. The judge is sitting there tolerating this. And and you know, I, I got to say, uh, there are lawyers in the courtroom. There are no cameras. This this is what is irritating me about all of this, okay? You want to know why I get so worked up? It's not because Donald Trump is a rapist, and it's not because Donald Trump is a scumbag. And it's not because Donald Trump is, uh, you know, uh, trying to pass himself off as he's been traumatized. He's the victim here, which is, it's vile on so many levels. One, that he's doing it with a straight face. 
Two, that he's doing it because he thinks it helps his campaign. And three, that it does help his campaign, that it's working. So that's, you know, that's set that aside. What's really peeving me is that there are no cameras to capture any of this, any of this. And you know, everybody, I've always said, have you always said? Yes, for 30 years, I think, that if it wasn't on the TV, it didn't happen. And maybe that's why Ms. Haley there is going, well, um, if he's guilty, then, you know, I just know you have the right to be uh, considered innocent until you're proven guilty. He's been proven guilty in two, in two of these cases so far, two of them. Now, Engeron, he found him uh, uh, guilty for bank fraud. And now Engeron is sitting there trying to figure out whether or not he should ban him from ever being allowed to do business in New York ever again and how much money he needs to pay back uh, of the bank fraud that he committed, how much uh, did he make, okay? And in this one, he was found guilty like a year ago and continues to defame her and continues to threaten her. And just in case you were wondering, do the Trump people threaten people? Do the Trump people have a track record of, uh, you know, like responding to Donald Trump's hatred for this person or that person? Do they call up like, oh, I don't know, Adam Kinzinger's house and threaten Adam Kinzinger because Donald Trump says Adam Kinzinger needs to, uh, you know, uh, 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 be exposed as, as a front-running phony or as a hater or as somebody who's anti-Trump or that somebody, you know, I mean, does, does that actually translate? Well, let's see. Did Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss have to leave their house in Atlanta for the crime of volunteering to be election workers because Rudy Giuliani said that they were passing around USB ports like that was crack cocaine and it turned out to be a ginger mint. Do you know what I mean? Like, do they have this uh, track record of doing this? I don't know. Um, this is, uh, th let's listen into um, Adam Kinzinger's uh, voicemail at his office when he was a Congress member. I guess I can't say a whole lot more other than I'll you naturally die as quickly as possible, you piece of shit. You backstabbing son of a bitch. Go against Trump, y'all know y'all motherfuckers are setting up their life like a damn dog. Hey, you little sucker. Gonna come protest in front of your house this weekend. We know who your family is, and we're gonna get you. You little sucker. Yeah, sucking little bastard. Okay, and that goes on for about three minutes. I could play the whole thing, but I won't. So do they have this history of uh, running people out of their own homes? Do they have this history of uh, calling people up and, uh, you know, threatening them and calling them uh, names and saying, we know who your family, where your family is. We're going to get you. We're going to get your whole damn family. I mean... Uh, Yes, and that's why E. Jean Carroll sleeps with a gun. I just needed to illustrate for you what she has been dealing with. And he's doing it in real time now. Like now. Like sitting there posting crap on Truth Social about what a liar she is. And, and being agitated and loud in the courtroom. And he's still there. Oh! Call in. Connect. To speak to Randy. Call 561-270-3844. 561-270-3844. Okay, so I, I want to play you this, and, and I don't know if you'll remember this or not, okay? Uh, but I, I don't know how you could forget it. So Roger Stone, who has been, uh, had his sentence, uh, he was recommended a sentence of nine years. Does everybody remember that? that Roger Stone lied under oath when it came time to uh, uh, testify about uh, preparations for January 6th, okay? Uh, and he was uh, held in contempt. He uh, actually was found guilty of perjury. And the, recommend, uh, the recommendation from the prosecutor was nine years. Okay, well, Roger Stone was just about to begin serving his prison sentence uh, when Donald Trump inserted himself and commuted Roger Stone's sentence. So Roger Stone is still out. Okay, he's still free. And then uh, one of the tapes that the January 6th Select Committee was able to uh, produce uh, during the hearings was this one, okay, where Roger Stone was in this movie called A Storm Foretold that was put together by, um, I think he was a Dutch 
uh, producer, and uh, he's captured Roger Stone on the street talking to, I think, the Proud Boys at this point. And he's saying to them, you know, don't worry if we lose. We're just going to say we won, right? And he was saying that, you know, we'll incite violence if we have to, right? Let's just hope we're celebrating. (laughs) I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it'll still be up in the air. When that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, we won. Sorry, over. We won. You're wrong. ABC. I should learn and let's get right to the violence. That's what I'm Okay, let's get right to the violence. That that was so what was he talking about? What was he talking about? Well, we now have some sort of insight into what violence he was talking about, what he was saying, let's get right to the violence. What violence was he, uh, you know, alleging that would occur? Turns out that there is a very, uh, you know, uh, astute and smart and on-the-beat reporter at Mediaite, and she had uh, uh, somebody gave her, a source of hers, gave her a taped recording of Roger Stone. And in this taped recording, where it's, it's a little hard to hear, okay, but uh, there's Chiron on the screen, so you can read what he's saying. Uh, Roger Stone is threatening violence against Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler. Why? Because Eric Swalwell and Jerry, Gerald Nadler are on the Judiciary Committee at the, when uh, the Democrats are in charge of, when the Democrats are the majority. Nadler is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And uh, Eric Swalwell, as you know, uh, is a very capable and, uh, you know, a, a good attorney who, you know, helped the January 6th Select Committee build their case, right? And so now there's tape of Roger Stone threatening the lives of Eric Swalwell and Gerald Nadler. Now, this is a, a, a CNN report, uh, and I use this one, not the mediaite one, which I would like to use, uh, because uh, it has Chiron and, and the nature of the audio is garbled, okay? Longtime and staunch Donald Trump ally Roger Stone under investigation by the U.S. Capitol Police and FBI for allegedly threatening to assassinate House Democrats. Either Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. Okay, read it. Either Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. Now he's going to say they need to get the message. I'm just not putting up with this S-word anymore. They need to get the message. Just not putting up with this Roger Stone is basically denying that he ever said this and that in that that's him even on the audio recording. He's calling it total nonsense. He huh. accuses it of, a, of being AI manipulation. And Swalwell specifically released a statement ex- expressing really deep concern about what he heard on this audio recording. He says the Roger Stone assassination assassination plot recording may seem like the ravings of a wannabe gangster. It's not because I'm one of Trump's loudest critics. Stone put a, a hit out on me. Yeah, and uh, he did put a hit out on him. I, and, and here is, are some of the death threats that were captured on Eric Swalwell's office answering machine. Hey, you little sucker. You still banging the Chinese spy, bang, bang? <laughs> and stinking up the f***ing capital with your farts, you little sucker. We're coming to your house this weekend, going to get you and them little mutant bastards. The little mutant offspring of yours, we're going to get you. I mean, you know, so the idea that people don't like to speak out against Donald Trump isn't because they're afraid of Donald Trump. They know that he's a 77-year-old man who paints himself orange, is extremely unfit, overweight, and couldn't punch his way out of a paper bag. Nobody thinks that he's a marksman. Nobody thinks that, you know, he's got the uh, nads or the gumption or the ability to, uh, you know, actually stalk somebody and, 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 you know, off them. They're afraid of Donald Trump's maggots. These are sick people who find camaraderie amongst each other by doing this, by threatening people, by, you know, making them move out of their house. Shea Moss and uh, uh, Ruby Freeman, those were just the first people that we ever really understood uh, were being threatened in the, ma- in the manner in which they were being threatened, right? And that was because Rudy Giuliani lied about them, defamed them. 
Well, you know, he now owes them $148 million. You understand that? He doesn't have $148 million, but whatever he has is now payable to Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. I hope it was worth it, Rudy. I hope it was. To, to, to torture these uh, two girls who literally do nothing but run their own small little uh, business. You know, uh, Ruby Freeman has a... Um, she had, I don't know if she still does, she had a, a little dress shop, you know, for women with, uh, you know, uh, sort of over-the-top, uh, you know, uh, taste in, in dressing, right? And uh, Shea Moss was just a, a, an ordinary girl who worked, a, you know, a work-a-day job. And then uh, her mom and her would volunteer to be election workers. It was one of the things she was most proud of about how she lived her life. Now you have uh, E. Jean Carroll, and, you know, thank God, right, because E. Jean is a person of some means, and she's able to go to court. And if you're a person of no means and no popularity and no, you know, uh, if we didn't know about Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman because of the coverage, if we didn't know what happened to them because of the January 6th Select Committee and the coverage, uh, they would never have had their day in court. Nobody would come to defend them for free. Nobody would have, you know, uh, believed them. Or, and now we're finding out that the the, the people who uh, threatened them and another one who threatened them was this. Uh, her last name's Cootie, like she got the cooties. She was a publicist for Kanye West. Remember, she went and uh, told Shea Moss and uh, Ruby Freeman that they really, really needed to think about what they were about to do and that they should lie for Donald Trump when they were deposed about the uh, uh, Fulton County stuff, about manipulating uh, votes, about passing around USB ports, which were really gingermints. And that woman, the publicist for Kanye, actually, she's being sued now. Her lawyer just quit. Her lawyer said, I'm out. She has no lawyer. Because no one can defend these people anymore. There is a pattern of and practice of threatening everybody that tells the truth. This is the Randy Rhodes Show. It is. To speak with Randy, dial 561-270-3844. That's 561-270-3844. Hey maggots, what if it's a test? And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a man to test the will and goodness of a free people. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who failed in everything but theft and broken promises to live in a golden palace and convince the poor he serves their needs. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a wicked man to lead the common folk with hatred and fear. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a corrupt man who is above the law and immune from justice. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who will use violence to seize power. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man whose followers will call black white, call evil good, and call criminals hostages. So God made a dictator. God said, I need his political party to obey without question, and the press fear his wrath. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a cruel man who uses his power and position to punish and harm his opposition. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who breaks the faith of even his most godly followers and leads them to idolatry, place him above me. So God made a dictator. And then God said, I sent this man to test you and until you cast him down, you have failed. So God made a dictator. What if that, what if that's, what if that's what's going on? What, what, what if that is? Huh? You know, you gotta, you gotta believe that that is what's going on, right? It's the only explanation I can, uh, you know, fathom because, and then when you look at the numbers, you know, the turnout. Yesterday we went over all the the puny little numbers and the the puny little turnout that was the first in the nation Iowa caucuses, right? And we looked at seven percent of the population of Iowa, seven percent showing up to cast a ballot for or again Donald J. Trump. And of the 7% that showed up to do that, half of them rejected him. Half. The vote got split, though, between Nikki Haley and, uh, you know, Ron DeSanctimonious or whatever uh, Donald Trump is calling him today. I, honestly, I, I, I can't 
express to you enough that the whole idea that there is a group in this country that is being tested for their uh, love of country, for their commitment to their family and friends, for their ability to think their way out of a paper bag even, uh, and that watching their candidates sit in a courtroom disrupting uh, you know, uh, the court proceedings in a trial where he was adjudicated guilty of raping a woman and can't stop trashing her even after all these many years and a $5 million verdict against him, which he now has to pay to her for destroying her life, her career, her reputation, right? We know now that Dominion was uh, a big lie that was told by Fox News, and they've been held liable, and they've been uh, ordered to pay almost a billion dollars in damages to that company for lying about it. Sidney Powell and Cheese Bro, all these dudes, man, uh, they, they've pled guilty. They've taken a deal, okay, in the Fulton County, uh, you know, uh, uh, debacle there. Uh, they actually... Uh, put together lists of fake electors. They went to Coffee County. They tried to take machines from a Republican, uh, you know, uh, county in order to get access to a machine and then rig the machine to show that the machine was rigged uh, as evidence that they were right. And now, you know, the, the, they're all pleading to criminal charges. They were all found liable. Rudy Giuliani, he, he he's... He, he couldn't possibly own another thing in this world because anything that he would buy, anything he would spend money, is going to be uh, 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 garnished by the court. It's got to go to Ruby Freeman and Shea, and Shea Moss. Roger Stone runs around. He gets, uh, you know, uh, uh, prosecuted. Donald Trump commutes his freaking sentence, and the guy is on tape threatening the lives of members of Congress, judiciary members of the committee. I mean, it, it's, it's so twisted. And this is improving his standing with the people who are truly being tested by, by him. Not him, but his presence. They're being tested. And, you know, I, I got to play you this because uh, probably nobody will. But Eric Trump last night, uh, he was being interviewed by one of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, right-wing lunatic, fringy people. And uh, he's saying my dad, he can't even say God, okay? Eric Trump doesn't believe in God. The Trump kids are, you know. But um, they, they, they were asking, you know, like, uh, is your father imbued with the spirit? Is your father being guided by God? I think he's created the greatest political movement in history. And I really do believe yeah. that... Um, someone something is looking down and guiding him every single day because there's no way in the world he could have been where he is today without the intervention um of god and um mm -hmm. amen I, I i feel it i know it um hillary clinton raised 1.5 billion my father who knew nothing about politics in 2016 raised 300 million um and somehow he's he a businessman he won the white house oh against impossible mm -hmm. odds and I really do believe that there's divine intervention there. I think somebody was guiding him. He can't say God. Okay, he can't. But he's talking to a bunch of, uh, you know, evangelicals who are online raising money uh, by being pro-Trump uh, in the name of God. And he says, you know, uh, he's trying to show this woman that Hillary Clinton outraised his father by three to one, which is bullcrap. But that's the case he's trying to make to her that, you know, Hillary raised a bill, 1.5 billion. My father raised 300 million. She hears 300 million. She reacts to it like it was some uh, great, uh, you know, achievement to uh, raise uh, a quarter of what Hillary raised or less. But that's not true either. And he's telling people who listen to this swell that his father's been imbued and guided by God, even though he can't even make himself say God. And the people who listen to that kind of thing, like that's their choice. This is the podcast or the YouTube channel. I don't even know what it is. It's, you know, I saw it on Right Wing Watch, right, which is part of Mediaite. <clears throat> uh, they're on that show to, to grift, and the people who are hosting them are grifters too. Okay, and they're all trying to raise money off of Donald Trump's name. It's so, it's so bizarre. It's, oh, and here's another one. You, th th this one's classic, okay? T my audience, most of you uh, are, are old enough to remember uh, Dick Morris, 
Dick Morris was a political consultant uh, from the Clinton era. And it turned out that Dick Morris was a very prolific, oh, toe sucker. Yeah, he liked to suck toes. And that became, uh, you know, like public knowledge about Dick Morris. It uh, sort of ruined his political consulting career. But uh, he wrote, he's still writing on it. He still, uh, you know, tries to make a few shekels here and there uh, by saying, you know, he's a political consultant. And then he went over to the dark side when, when, the, when the, you know, uh, when the Democrats actually exposed him as being a front-running phony and a liar and a, a toe sucker who claimed to be the moral high ground, um, he decided he was going to switch sides. So now he's on the Republican side. And he was talking to um, Newsmax yesterday in like a, you know, he's wearing his suit and tie. And obviously it's, you know, a, 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 a hit is what they call it. You know, it's a planned interview, right? So he dressed up for it. But I want you to watch... What happens in the background while Dick Morris is sitting there, you won't even remember what Dick Morris was saying. I'll, I'll tell you what he was saying. He was, he was saying that um, Donald Trump is going to beat Nikki Haley, okay, and that the media is rooting for Nikki Haley to beat Donald Trump, right? This was his point. This is why he was on Newsmax. But, but watch this. I think the media is going to try to downplay it because, as you correctly said, they're basically supporting um, what? Uh, Ron. They're basically supporting... What? Did you see that? How could I not? Wait. I think the media is going to try to downplay it because, as you correctly said, they're basically supporting um, uh, Ron. They're basically supporting Nikki Haley. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the fact that everyone at Newsmax ignored the man in a wife beater and his panties walking into Dick Morris's living room during a Zoom call, literally explains why attending the rape trial of a woman you've already been found guilty of raping is something that the media can actually use to get Donald Trump votes. It is a perfect metaphor. They just ignore what they see. They ignore what, they, what, what actually happens. They ignore the guilty verdicts. They ignore, just like they ignore a man in his underwears walking through the interview. At first I thought it was Trump and the emperor really had no clothes. And then I looked again and I go, okay, that's not him. He's in a, a, a trial claiming innocence even after a jury found him guilty of raping a woman. And, you know... A wife beater on top of it. You know what I'm saying? It's just like Dick Morris is beating up on Nikki Haley and an older man, uh, both old men, in his panties walks on through and nobody says anything. Mary had a little man. We believe that all men are created equal. The magnificent mosaic that is America. From radio beacon to radio beacon. I have a dream. Change has come to America. Believe me. Help is on the way. Knock, knock. Who's there? Hey. It's a figment of your imagination. Randy Roadshow. Turn up your mind. Are you a racist party? Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try and be more perfect every day that we can. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then. Our goal is to lift up everybody, not go and divide people on race or gender or party or anything else. We've had enough of that in America. That's why I'm so passionate about doing this. I don't want my kids growing up where they're sitting there thinking that they're disadvantaged because of a color or a gender. I want them to know that if they work hard, yep. they can do and be anything they want to be in America. Okay, so that's a lofty goal, and uh, it's one that I think everybody supports. Uh, however, denying that we were ever a racist country, that ain't going to play, because it's just untrue. And this is why people don't trust Nikki Haley. She's very uncomfortable talking about race. She was very uncomfortable when she was asked what the cause of the Civil War was. She couldn't say the word slavery. And finally, when the person in the audience who was asking her a question said, 
okay, I don't, I don't need to, you know, you, she said, well, what do you want me to say about slavery? Okay, insert, uh, you know, uh, the worst word you can uh, pick right here to describe it. And he said, you know, never mind. I, I, you just gave me like a four-minute answer and never mentioned the word slavery. So, you know, and then she accused him of being a democratic plant. Well, it doesn't matter if he was or he wasn't. Let's say he was. Let's say he was a Democrat that went into a Nikki Haley, uh, you know, a town hall. <gasps> oh, my God. I thought America was, uh, you know, free speech and you're allowed to express yourself. Oh, no, no. You have to be, uh, you know, part of the cult. You have to be part of the Klan now or else you're responsible for her lying about the cause of the Civil War. It's your fault that she didn't have a good answer and never has had a good answer about the cause of the Civil War. Okay, and that's because she ran for governor in South Carolina. And she didn't want to lose one single solitary white supremacist who might vote for her. And so she would not say that uh, although she did take down the Confederate flag because she understood that the Confederate flag was a symbol of hatred, just saying. But here she is denying that America was ever a racist country. America, obviously, we were born from a genocide, number one, truly. And then, I don't know, how can you conveniently forget that from 1619 to, oh, I don't know, about 1870, 1861, we had slavery as an economic system in this country. It was, it was what built this country. Free labor. Swear to God. Look it up. How could she forget that? Okay, so let's get past slavery. Let's just go past that, okay? Because I think most intelligent people in this audience are very well aware that we, uh, you know, cleansed the land of indigenous people, took it for our own, and then proceeded to run an economy based on free imported, uh, in shackles labor imported, imported. They, they, they were kidnapped. We, we, we went around the world and, and, and kidnapped people, and it was a trade. It was actually a system of trading human beings for other people to own them, to purchase them for labor, to use them as labor until they died, until they dropped dead. Then we fought a war over it. For about four years, about 600,000 people died in that war, an internal war, a civil war, right here in this here land. And the people who died on the Confederate side were defending the economic system that they had come to know and love called slavery. So in her view, that's not racist. Okay, let me get past the slavery. Let's move forward to the Jim Crow era. What is the Jim Crow era? When did that start and why is it an era? Like how long did it last, Rand? And what happened there? Okay, so after the Civil War had ended and supposedly Lincoln freed the slaves and there you go, everybody, just uh, wander off. There you go. Bye-bye, good luck to you, go with God. Yeah, so the Civil War, as you know, was over in, what, uh, 1865, around April. So then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Jim Crow laws decided that uh, they needed to take place. They needed to be, uh, you know, enshrined. And what they were was a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. It, it not only determined uh, that uh, people of color who were recently freed couldn't vote, uh, but everything about Jim Crow laws was intended to and had the effect of marginalizing African Americans by denying them plain and simple freedom of movement, drinking from a fountain. Uh, that didn't happen until, you know, the midst, in the middle of Jim Crow laws. But at the beginning, when the South adopted these uh, the, the, the state and local uh, ordinances, uh, keeping racially segregated cities and racially segregated counties and racially segregated churches and schools. And, uh, you know, opportunities were, were, you know, just for white people only. Um, because if, if, if any freed slave, any free slave uh, tried to defy any of the Jim Crow era laws meant to marginalize their participation in their own country, they were threatened with, um, oh, let's just say the 
the simple thing was like arrest and jail, and then it would go through to very long jail sentences where they might be again used as slave labor, prison labor, unpaid, violence, death, lynching, their children could be shot, their children could be killed, their children could be lynched, they could be dragged, they could be whatever. But those were known as the black codes. The black codes were very strict. They were very um, detailed. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they would say everything from where and how much compensation a black person could make. It was a legalized, syst systematic way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, limiting how much money they could be paid, right? The maximum amount was limited, indentured servitude, you understand? And then, of course, no voting rights. And uh, there, where they lived was also very strictly controlled, meaning if you lived in a place where, oh, let's say white people didn't want you to live, then you might face, oh, I don't know, uh, people in the middle of the night coming and shooting up your little cabin, people in the middle of the night lighting crosses on your lawn, people in the middle of the night coming and seizing your children and then putting your children into child labor, uh, you know, all kinds of, or you could just be uh, outright killed. And what was so fascinating about it and what was so interesting about the systemic racism was that the Confederate soldiers in the South post-Civil War actually became the police officers. The soldiers then became the police officers. You following me? Yeah. And then some of them, like the officers, the Confederate officers, some of them became the actual judges that sat and heard these cases when a black person or a black family was arrested because they lived on land that white people now wanted to claim for their own. And so a judge, for, former uh, Confederate officer, or the police officer who would testify, former Confederate soldier, would ensure that people that they arrested would go to prison for, I don't know, eight times the amount of time that a shoplifter who was white would go to uh, prison. And these codes, these, these black codes, the Jim Crow laws, they worked in conjunction with labor camps at prisons where prisoners were treated again as uh, slaves and worked to death. And this all predated the Ku Klux Klan. I know it's the coup, but I don't, I don't care to say it correctly. But the Klan, the Klan didn't even start until like the midst of Jim Crow, okay? It was, it, and they were the police. All things Randy at RandyRhodes.com. Go, go for launch. Speaking truth to power, the Randy Rhodes Show. Okay, so these are just snippets of, uh, you know, historical things that uh, we have uh, lived through in our young country's life. So uh, we were right up to the Klan, okay? The Klan, the Klan started as like a little community group uh, in Pulaski, Tennessee, okay? Um... It was in reaction to violence being on the rise, um, and uh, they wanted to make danger a, a very um, regular occurrence in African-American life. And so the Klan at first was just you know a community group uh, in Pulaski, Tennessee. It was a private club for Confederate veterans, people who had, uh, you know, uh, sir. And suddenly they realized, well, we could become police officers. Suddenly they realized, you know, the officers could become judges, right? They, we, they, could, they could sit and judge uh, from on high, uh, you know. And then the people who were the foot soldiers in the uh, uh, Klan, they, they didn't become, you know, the secret society that we all know that terrorized black communities uh, and just went everywhere in, in Southern culture uh, with their members now ascending to the highest levels of government offices um, and the lowest echelons of criminal back alleys until later, until later. But this is, this is all the way that uh, people who, I don't know, what do we call the, 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 the people who participated in the Klan? Klansmen? Maggots? Klansmen? Maggots? You know what I'm saying? Um, they, they wanted to make violence a regular thing, 
They wanted to make violence and danger in ordinary people's lives, expected and regular, normalized violence, okay? And so, but not against other white people so much as black people, right? This was, this was how they were going to keep free blacks in their place, which was beneath them, below them. And so they started terrorizing uh, places like black schools where the children go. And they would vandalize and destroy, uh, you know, schools and, uh, you know, torture. And then they started with, um, you know, the extrajudicial threats began with the Klan. Before that, you had the judges and the police officers, you know, handing down very long sentences. Then all of a sudden the Klan said, well, we could be the police officers. We could... And they started vandalizing and destroying things and setting fire to things, uh, actual violence, arson, and then downshifted into lynching. And when people saw that kind of violence being, uh, you know, attended on, uh, served up to uh, black communities, some white people were like, I want me, I want a piece of that. I want to be part of that. And so you had this unbelievable systemic racism so now answer the question do you agree that the u.s has never been a racist country well the u.s uh is not a, a racist country and we've overcome things in our history you know i think the founding fathers they established a set of principles that are that, that are universal now they may not have been universally applied at the time but i think they <laughs> understood what they were doing they may not have been universally applied at the time. You know, I love the way we just kind of scratch off about 500 years of our American history. Because Jim Crow, just so you know, these laws and the Klan and all the, you know, the Klan never really uh, disappeared. We still have them. You know, we saw Charlottesville and Heather Heyer is dead and Proud Boys and, you know, uh, Oath Keepers. And they call themselves different things. But we all know what their purpose is. And their purpose is to make violence an ordinary feature of American life. But now it's not only color-based, although it is. It's not just discrimination against people um, who speak a different language or who have darker skin or who are Jewish or, you know, different uh, religion. It's not just that, okay? It's, 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 it's now anybody who's against Donald Trump. And now they call themselves MAGA. Which is why I say clan, maggot, clan, maggot, clan, maggot. Because what the maggots are trying to do, and that's why we started with playing all the threats, and E. Jean Carroll's case is an important one, not just because she was traumatized by this, this, this disgusting creature who was found guilty of raping her, but also because he won't stop, because he feels like he can get away with it. He feels like he will never be held accountable. And that is what MAGA loves about him. That is what they love about him, that you could lynch people, you could ruin people's lives, you could burn people, you could set fire to churches, you could do whatever you want, you could hold Bibles upside down. Whatever you want to do, you can do. You just can't talk badly about him. It's really sick and it's really sad. But this is when you saw migration from the South to the Northern uh, part. And, and you know, I will say big cities in the South, like they, they, they weren't whole, you know, wholly beholden to Jim Crow laws. And so you saw a lot of migration from fields and, and rural uh, places into, uh, you know, uh, Southern cities. Uh, and then substantial black populations were moving to these cities. And as, you know, decades progressed, the white city dwellers started to demand that black people's opportunities start being limited. They didn't like, see, and this is how it happens. This is exactly how it happens. And so that's when Jim Crow law spread around the country. And that's when you saw things like public parks becoming forbidden land for African-Americans to enter and theaters. And of course, everybody remembers the hamburger counter and the Woolworth counter and all those places, theaters, restaurants, uh, bus waiting stations, train waiting stations, water fountains, restrooms, building entrance entrances, elevators, cemeteries, amusement parks. That's when it all got out of control because black people were just trying to stay alive. And they were moving. They were literally migrating to places where they might raise their children in safety. You know, this is when, uh, you know, they moved to Tulsa. And they started their own communities 
And they did really well. And every single time people of color in this country did really well, burn it down. Burn it down to the ground. I mean, and this went on for 100 years, just about 100 years. And people love to skip over the Jim Crow. They love to, you know, say, well, the founding fathers, and maybe we didn't live it, invoking slavery. You know, listen, freedom was only for white male landowners. That's what this country was founded on. We talk this great game about all men are created equal and, you know, but no. If you were a person of color or you didn't own property, you were counted in the census as three-fifths of a person. You know that? Yes, you do. You just never, uh, you know, remember to know that. This country was so racist and so... Same thing, you know, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, this movie that uh, Scorsese just did, Scor- the Scorsese masterpiece, right? That's about, uh, you know, an indigenous tribe of people, the Osage Indians, who were given the worst land, the absolute worst land you could possibly get. Except that bad land actually had oil on it, and they became some of the richest people in America, the Osage Indian tribe. White men moved in. Try to kill them. But they couldn't just kill them. They needed to inherit the rights to the land. So first they married into the Osage. Then they killed them. Not racist, no. No. All in, connect. To speak to Randy, call 561-270-3844. I think the Republican Party uh, stands for merit and achievement and colorblindness. That is what we should stand for. So, for example, in Florida, uh, I've eliminated things at our universities like this DE&I. They say it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's really very ideological, and they're trying to impose an agenda. I think the way it's actually practiced, it stands for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination, and it's wrong. Let's not divvy people up based on race, ethnicity, or gender. Let's treat people as individuals, not as members of group. Of course, we'll all come together, and they say there should be no discrimination against anyone based on that. But that's not just discriminating against ethnic or racial minorities. Of course you don't do that. It also means you don't discriminate against white Americans. Or in the university setting, you don't discriminate against Asian Americans just because they tend to have, have high performance. Kumbaya, my lord. Didn't he just stereotype Asian Americans? I am just sorry. Kumbaya. They just want to sweep all of this damage under the rug. You know, the trauma of it all, the segregation that still lingers. Uh, what? I'm just, the whole thing is swirling in my head. One In one breath, he says, we're the colorblind party. Hey, and no. then in the very next sentence, he says, but what about the white people who are being discriminated against? Oh, please. You know, any, Unbelievable. Any, anybody who tells you that they're colorblind, I, I mean, then they're blind blind. You can't be colorblind. Like, okay, my dad was colorblind. Like, he couldn't tell the difference between some green and some blue like that. Kept him from being a pilot, okay? Just, uh, you know, that kind of color. But don't tell me that you could look at a person and not see the color of their skin. I mean, I'm a woman, okay? I have to buy makeup. Yeah. And the entire makeup industry is about seeing what color you are. It's all about color matching. Okay, the TikTok uh, viral ads for, for what is it, uh, Il Maquillage? I, I bought, it's yellow. Uh, okay, I needed pink, it was yellow. But I'm just saying, you know, the idea that, that, he, that, that anybody would be colorblind and not the kind of colorblind that my dad was, meaning, you know, you can't tell the, the subtle differences between like a blue and a green or maybe a brownish that leads into a green. No. He's saying you shouldn't see somebody's uh, blackness, you shouldn't see somebody's whiteness, but yes, you should not discriminate against white people or Asian people. What is he talking about? Okay, here's the answer. They're not comfortable talking about race. You know why? Because they still have animosity. They still hold judge, judgy, let's just call it judgy opinions 
about people based on their religion, based on their race, based on where they go to church or if they don't go to church or if they go to temple or if they go to mosque. You know, Nikki Haley, of all people, Nikki Haley's father is a Sikh, okay? And Sikhs are, uh, they, they wear turbans. It's part of their religious expression. Uh, not that I care because, you know, Jews, uh, Orthodox Jews, conservative Jews, they wear yarmulkes. I don't care. I don't care. But her father was always stared at. And Nikki Haley's been asked about that. And she said it hurt her because the people who were looking at her dad funny, who were judging her dad, and that is what they were doing. They were judging whether or not he was a stranger, judging whether or not he was trustworthy, judging whether or not he was too different for them to accept into their community, into their store, into their restaurant, into their lives, okay? She said, it, it hurt me because they didn't know him the way I knew him. They didn't know that they shouldn't be afraid of him the way I knew they shouldn't be afraid of him. So, I mean, this idea of colorblindness, could we just stop saying that? Because it's so bogus. It's, it's ridiculous to say, I'm colorblind. And if you find yourself saying that, stop yourself. Just stop in mid-sentence. And admit that if you're talking to a person who's white, that you see that they're white. Or admit if you're talking to a person who's black, that you see that they're black. Just stop doing it. It's ridiculous. There's entire billion dollar industries built on seeing your color and getting that right. <laughs> Truly. But to say that this country was imperfect at the beginning, but now it's okay, we don't have any. The president of the United States passed, the last one before Biden, actually became president of the United States by being a racist. And they know that. And that's why it's so hard to listen to them explain away racist people in their party by saying, oh no, we're colorblind. The Republican Party is the party of meritocracy. Oh, bullcrap. Every single time people in this country succeed and they don't look like you, Dreamers, let's use dreamers as a wonderful example of what I'm talking about over here. Dreamers came in as children. They are now grown-ups, and they have done nothing but educate themselves, put themselves all the way through school, and never got so much as a traffic ticket. Because if they had, they would not be in the dreamer category anymore. They would not be DACA recipients and all we've been asking, me and, and people who are like me, progressive, all we've been asking of Congress, of the Republicans, is when they do comprehensive immigration reform, which <laughs> they will never do. It's such a great performer for them. And they learn their lesson with abortion. I mean, that's the dog that caught the car, and they're never going to repeat that again. But the... All we ever said was, hey, we'll give you all the money you want for border. We'll give you all the money you want for uh, judges to hear these asylum claims. I mean, we are so backed up on asylum claims. We will even try and talk to you about changing asylum laws. We will talk to you about comprehensive immigration reform as long as you understand at the end of all this conversation, at the end of all this spending, at the end of all of this uh, you know, securing of the border with technology and dogs and, and drug intervention and everything else that we also want, you are going to have to include a path, some path that dreamers can get on and stay on for a period of like a decade more to gain access to citizenship. And they won't even go there. This is how enraged they are that people of good character, people of integrity, people who believed in education, people who kept their kids on the straight and narrow, people who did it the right way, people who never broke a law in their lives, including you know, never got a parking ticket, never jaywalked. Uh, this is how jealous they are that those people might actually get an opportunity to vote an opportunity to be a fully realized citizen. No, 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 they can't have that. Why? You could call it jealousy if it makes you feel better, but that's racism.
You think if they get something, that means you lost something. It doesn't work that way. If they get citizenship, you've gained a citizen. That's what you've gotten. You've gotten something good. But this is why an oppressive society, this is why Jim Crow laws were, were, were used to keep our society an oppressive one. Because white people just couldn't stand to see black farmers do well, couldn't stand to see the Osage do well, just couldn't take it. The Randy Rhodes Show. It to is. speak with Randy, dial 561-270-3844. That's 561-270-3844. We talk about this as if it is the past. We are looking at, we've covered stories where people have died, have been killed because of racism. Jacksonville, Florida, the Dollar Tree shooting. I mean, this is happening right now. And this is not just the black community, right? You, you, the Japanese internment. I mean, those families and descendants are still here. My last name is Alford, not because my family chose that last name. That is the name of the slaveholding family that owned us. I know the plantation that we are from in South Carolina, and I am here. My father desegregated a school. He remembers those things. So why do we have to talk about it as if it is past? This is right now. The pain is real. The survivors of racism, we are here, right? And so if you don't have a message around that, that talks about the future, that talks about the present, you cannot lead this country. Well, Republicans do have a message around it. And it's that, to and, ignore it. it it's no. to say that we are colorblind, no, which and, does not and, and, solve and it, the but, problem. But it is to say that we are undoubtedly a better and stronger nation on this front today than we were 10, 20, 40, 50, 150, 180 years ago. We are undoubtedly better as an American people you than go we back ever have been. Years? And, and that will be true again tomorrow. And but that, why I think is that? that was the but why is it? Made. It's not because we ignored it. It's because people called out what was uncomfortable and they challenged the status quo and they said, we need to live up to what the American dream actually is. Those were the people who were demonized. We just celebrated Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was killed. He was killed. He was not considered a favorite or a darling of America because he stood up against racism, against poverty. And actually, the greatest threat was that he was uniting poor white people, right, with poor people of color. Yep. That was the greatest threat to America, yep. was that he was willing to bring us together. So again, we have to move past talking about this as if it is history, as if it's not happening right now. And when the Republican Party does this colorblind thing, you're gaslighting people. I love the way she put that. Uh, it's 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 totally 100% demonstrably true that racism is with us at this very moment. We we just watched a, a guy uh, plead guilty to what uh, the tops uh, supermarket shooting, uh, the dollar store she's talking about. You know, we have all kinds of you know uh, racially motivated hate uh, mongers in this country that are willing to do it. They're willing to take lives. They're willing that the mother Emmanuel uh, church. Okay. Uh, he, he went in there and they invited him in to talk to, and he, he literally systemically murdered each and every person in that church, each and every one up close and personal after getting to know them. That's a special kind of hatred. And in, in, in light of Mentioning, you know, the Dylan Roof shooting and the top shooting. I hate saying his name. I, I know. Uh, you know, w a lot of what Nikki said early in, in the interview we played at the top of last hour was profoundly unsettling. But for me, it's what this woman is talking about right now, and that's the shutting down of the conversation. Right. That's what they'd like most of all, to shut the conversation down so we make no more progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, becoming more perfect uh, does mean that people actually become more perfect. There is no getting around that. There just isn't. People must become more than they are now. And some people don't want to become anything in addition to what they are now. And you know, it's crazy, but here's the dirty little secret. You know, the grievance people, the angry people, the people who are disappointed in, in how it turned out or what this life's really about. You know how you make yourself happy? Do you? We went over this a couple days ago, and it's not an original thought that I've had. It's not anything that I understood to be true, except when I heard it, I realized it was true for me. The thing that makes humans happy is progress. It's not perfection. It's not weight loss. 
It's not quitting smoking. It's not quitting drinking. It's not quitting. Dr- it's making progress in any area you choose, anything at all that you choose to attend to. Just making progress, incremental progress, or just a moment of progress, or a, a pound, or, or 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 one less cigarette a day, or one less uh, you know a cup of coffee if you're trying to give up caffeine. Whatever it is, it's progress. It's not about denying yourself. It's about giving yourself progress on any front at all that you choose to do. That's what makes people happy. Isn't that something? Isn't that special? And so the grievance committee over here, the haters over there, they don't want you to make progress in your perfection, in your, in your zest and zeal to become more. And I don't want to say more perfect because, you know, I don't even know what perfection is when, it com- when you're talking about a human being. It's very subjective. Okay, you know what I think it might be? Um, nah, never mind. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> I'm not even going to say, but it doesn't, it, it's very subjective what uh, perfection is, okay? And so uh, who's to say? So all you want to do is make a little bit of progress in becoming more you, more human. That's it. They don't want you to know that. They don't want you to do that. They don't want you to be released from your, uh, you know, cycle of grievance, They don't want you to understand that you could be more, that you are more, that just by wanting to be more, you're more. Because you've changed from being stuck to wanting to be more. I'm telling you, they have a stake in your misery is is basically what I'm telling you. Uh, Tracy in Maryland. Yes. Hi, Randy. Long, long time viewer and first time caller. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Um, just wanted to draft off um, one of your last commentaries before the break, which has to do with path, uh, path to citizenship and a you know, sensible path here. Um, I work in the uh, agriculture and tourism sector here in Maryland, and I'm also a journalist and have written about uh, specifically the construction industry. And I know in your significant research, which you do a lot of, I'm wondering if you've heard of any initiatives or efforts to connect the dots in creating, okay, I'll finish with my thought here, creating a work path through job creation and specifically in industries that are graying out, such as construction and agriculture, uh, where the average age in agriculture, anyway, the average farmer is age 57, uh, this is a national issue, not just a Maryland issue, um, and the hospitality and retail sectors. So I'll take your answer offline, and thanks well, for Well, you don't have to take call. my answer offline. You know the answer. It's, it's self-evident. The answer is no. Nobody is connecting the dots. And, yes, we need workers, and we always will. And as, and as you know, people actually uh, go up the food chain and start getting paid like 30 and 35 and uh, $40 an hour to make, uh, you know, a, a, a Su- um, uh, what do you call them, uh, semiconductors and batteries and, uh, you know, the car industry is alive and well and people have really good paying jobs now. We, we know that. Uh, the things that get left behind are who's going to work in the field and who's going to work in the meatpacking plant and who's, right? And so they, yeah. they like to go down the food chain so that they'll, you know, we'll start using child labor again. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's so bizarre. They are so bizarre. Well, here in Maryland, um, you know, it, it, they, these industries reach these crush points when they're now going to the you know, state assembly to get these guest worker visas. Yes, right, right. And so, uh, you know, I, again, it just I'm a common sense sort of left brain person, and I'm seeing this at the state level, and I know that, that this state is not the only one that's no. experiencing this worker deficit and so I'm just clearly not understanding if they're screaming for workers, where are the initiatives to make all of that happen that could be rolled <laughs> into? <laughs> you funny. You are, Tracy. You're a scream, man. <laughs> 
Well, like I said, I sort of like look at what's the obvious. and I You know what the other the side other. of that is? You know what the other plus for a guest worker program is? Like in New York when, uh, you know, Abbott, the cruel one, because uh, cruelty is their point, when he started shipping people to freezing cold New York without announcing that they were coming or, you know, uh, letting people provide, you know, space for them or whatever, the first thing that the mayors of, of, of these cities say is we, we need a guest worker program because they can then pay for their own food. They can then pay for their own housing. You know, it's a good thing to get a Put them on the tax roll. That's right. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, I, I appreciate that. I, like I said, I just shrugged my shoulders and threw up my hands because I, I see headlines all the time for we need workers, we need workers, we need workers. And I'm like, well, there's a big pool of workers just sitting around. Yeah, <laughs> right I know, there. I know. I see the signs <laughs> down here, too. Take care. Thank you. I see the signs down here, too, and they're in English and Spanish. Okay? Trabajadores. You know, we need them. Uh, but honestly, the reason cruelty is the point. If you gave guest worker visas, if you actually let people be legally here and then go home, which is what I think should happen. White people of the Republican Party, of, of that persuasion, they will be out of their minds. Just so pissed that somebody got anything.